Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the call. This is January 26, 2023, and I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. I'm Susan Ann out of Portland, Oregon, and it's 6.40 in the morning Pacific time. It's 7.40 Mountain time, 8.40 Central time, and 9.40 Eastern time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick us up on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts through by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90, or Frank Lomas and Solutions, a digit for anti-aging, all pushed together. These calls are now archived back more than 11 years, and the last year and a half we've actually been putting in not only the the date and the name of the host, but what the topic of the call was. And so if you're looking for a particular host or a topic, go back and actually perhaps find those. With that being said, this is the TR90 support call. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, you can catch us live at 712-775-8972. And when it prompts for the code, put in 910022. And we would be thrilled to have you joining along with us. That TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is your good, clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at least one of those meals, making sure to get... um, your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal if it's possible. If it's not, do take them with your meals. They'll still work. I know some people get upset stomachs if they don't have food immediately with their uh, supplements. So, you know, whatever your body needs, do that. But do remember to take your supplements. Drinking plenty of fluid to stay hydrated. The current thinking is at least one ounce of fluid for every two pounds you weigh. While water is your optimum best choice, there are other choices you can make, but realize there are trade-offs with those choices in that there might be sugar, there might be caffeine, there might be some other things in um, whatever it is you're drinking if it's not just water. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. Those fruits and vegetables, they give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and they give you fiber especially the closer you get them to their original source as opposed to being highly processed. So, um, and it's important because guys need 45 grams of fiber daily, and us ladies, we need 39 grams of fiber. No, not 39. 32 grams of fiber daily because uh, for, for our good digestive health and keeping our digestive tract in good, healthy working order. <clears throat> <coughs> 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise, at least five days a week. And that can be aerobic, it could be strength training, it could be any number of things. Whatever it is, find something that you really enjoy doing and look forward to doing because you're going to be able to stick with it longer and the fact that it's part of your lifestyle change. This is not something you're going to do once and never go back to again. It's constantly re-honing and being focused on what uh, what you're working towards as to being a really healthy person. 
Can you do more than 30 minutes a day? Absolutely. Can you do more than five days a week? Absolutely. But we highly encourage a minimum of 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. Getting plenty of good quality rest, seven to nine hours of sleep daily is um, kind of the target area most of the sources seem to say. And I find, for me, that the better sleep I have, my body does a whole bunch of system receptors while I'm sleeping. It does um, stores memories, muscle memories, uh, clears out toxins, and I can really make good decisions the next day. If you're operating on a sleep deficit, first thing to do is actually get your sleep caught up and then um, really dive into the program and really be focused on that because the with good quality sleep, everything else seems to fall into place a lot easier and you can make better decisions as to what you're doing on the program. I think we've talked about all of the important points of, of the TR90 program. And with that, I'm going to be sharing some information today out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, and Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Busted, MD, MSL. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, we're going to be talking about the de-evolution of our diet because yesterday, not yesterday, Tuesday, I went over the seven layers of dietary fats and their values in descending order as to which ones were the really good ones. And when you get down to the bottom where the trans fats were, that's not very good at all. In fact, it's quite terrible. So just a brief recap on that. Your omega-3 fatty acids are your top choice. Your monounsaturates, which are olive oil and canola oil, come in second. Polyunsaturated, those are vegetable oils. Saturated fatty acids, which actually which is kind of middle of the road in this listing, come from your grass-fed animals, um, milk and dairy products, and then medium chain triglycerides, which is your palm oil, your coconut oil, and palm kernel oil. And you get your omega-6s, which are from farm-raised animals and fish. Farm-raised fish, that is. And your last one, which is the trans fats, with the partially hydrogenated oils, which are synthetic and found in processed foods only. You really don't want any of that in your diet because it does disastrous things to you. So nevertheless, in the early 1980s, none of these concerns about sugar, carbohydrates, and types of fats was known. With the endorsement of the dietary guidelines, Keys delivered the knockout punch that won the food fight while Yudkin was thrown under the bus. We were beseeched into reduce our consumption of dietary fat from 30 to 40%, the food industry had to retool its products to meet the demands for the low-fat fare. This meant altering its recipes. But when you take the fat out, the food tastes like cardboard. And partial palatability equals sales. So the food industry had to find ways to make this low-fat fare palatable. 
they therefore upped the carbohydrate content, specifically the sugar. An example is Nabisco's snack wells, which are still stocked on the shelves. For each serving, two grams of fat were removed and 13 grams of carbohydrates, or which were sugar, were added. In the 1990s, there was a major shift in the ability to specific foodstuffs, the food containing fat such as milk, sod drop, or stabilization and consumption. Conversely, levels of refined carbohydrates devoid of their inherent fiber went through the roof. Remember, refined carbohydrates means lots of insulin, which means lots of energy storage in fat tissue. And thus, the obesity epidemic was born in the aftermath of this seemingly logical and well-meaning, yet strategically flawed, or tragically flawed, understanding of our biochemistry. A gradual understanding that dietary fat isn't always the demon that it was prayed to be in the dietary guidelines, the work of Dr. Robert Atkins and other pioneers, led to the introduction of the low-carb diet in the American lexicon. Restaurants started serving cheeseburgers wrapped in a lettuce instead of a bun, cold fries. By the early 2000s, the carbohydrate restriction diet, restricted diet was put to rest and it went head-to-head against the low-fat diet for the treatment of obesity and type 2 diabetes. From controlled studies, we learned that the following five lessons First, carbohydrate restriction improves glucose control, the primary target of diabetes therapy. Second, carbohydrate-restricted diets are at least as effective for weight loss as low-fat diets. Third, substitution of fat for carbohydrates is generally beneficial for, for makers of and, of and the incidence of heart disease. Or carbohydrate restriction includes features of the metabolic syndrome. And number five, the beneficial effects of carbohydrate restriction are independent of weight loss. Carbohydrate restriction lives on in many guises throughout the food world. Yet so do the vegan, traditional Japanese, and other low-fat, high-carbohydrate diets because the two overlap. There is one specific food stuff that is both fat and carbohydrate at the same time. It's the one item that's excluded from every single diet in the world. It, the real omnivore's the real omnivorous curse, and it's the real culprit of the global obesity and metabolic syndrome pandemic. Fructose, the quote-unquote, toxin. Gabriel is a 100-pound, 8-year-old boy who has mildly elevated blood pressure. His father is a type 2 diabetic and has already had gastric bypass. A dietary analysis of the family's eating habits exhibits no abnormalities except that the father is a truck driver for the Adwala Juice Company and is allowed to bring home as much product as he wants. Gabriel's mother limits her son to one glass of juice per day, but he admits to drinking 
three glasses per day. We counsel the parents to remove the juice from the house. So within one year, the father loses 20 pounds and his diabetes improves. While Gabriel has not gained any weight, his blood pressure has returned to normal. Can low-fat, low-carb diets both be right or both wrong? What does the Atkins diet, protein and fat, and the Ornish diet, vegetables and whole grains, and the traditional Japanese diet, carbohydrate and protein, have in common? On the surface, they seem to be diametrically opposite, but they all have one thing in common. They restrict sugar. Every successful diet in history restricts sugar. Sugar is, bar none, the most successful food additive known to man. When the food industry adds it for palatability, we buy more. Because it's cheap, some version of sugar appears in virtually every processed foodstuff now manufactured in the world. Sugar, and specifically fructose, is the Lex Luthor of this story. Nutritionists routinely categorize sugar as empty calories, interchangeable with calories from starch. But sugar has a special payload. Sugar, sucrose, is made up of half glucose and half fructose. It's the fructose that makes it sweet, and that ultimately is the molecule we seek. It's the fructose that causes chronic metabolic disease, so sugar, despite ostensibly being a carbohydrate is really both a fat, because that's how fructose is metabolized in the liver, and a carbohydrate, that's how glucose is metabolized, all rolled in one. Both pathways have to work overtime, which is why sugar is the real omnivorous dilemma. Now, if you're starving, energy depleted, consuming sugar can replete your liver's glycogen stores more rapidly, which can be beneficial. So offensive linemen, after three hours on the gridiron, can consume all the Gatorade they want, but the overwhelming majority of people are neither starving nor energy depleted. There are now 30% more obese individuals than undernourished ones on the planet. Our bodies have not adapted to our current environmental sugar glut, and it is killing us slowly. And I think we'll stop there for today. Um, at the top of the hour, if you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, one of our leaders will be sharing some information on how to build a new skin business. We'll be diving more into fructose and why it is not necessarily our best friend when it comes to our diets. This is Susan Mann for January 26, 2023, signing out. I welcome any thoughts, comments, or questions you may have. And I was thrilled to have you along with us this morning. So there we have it, my friends, why we should be cutting out that sugar. Because it affects both systems in our body and causes everything to work overtime. And if there's no other thoughts or comments, I wish you a great day and hope you have 
a fabulous start for your Thursday, and hope to see you back here again tomorrow. <laughs>